are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarlane. We hope you enjoy. Always depend on you to sustain us. Yeah, fireworks. Did you have some fireworks last night? Oh my gosh, it felt like a war zone outside. Hey, I just wanted to start, before I get into the message today, I wanted to start with that video because uh, we are a nation that's always in need of prayer, but especially now. And uh, I was challenged this week. One of our members, Lucy Kay, challenged me to and ask the church, maybe we could pray for 31 days, the month of July, take five minutes a day to pray for our nation. I thought that was a great idea. I posted that to the church. And uh, I thought that would be good for us to do today. So you can set, I set it on my phone, 704. Can you guess why 704? Maybe? July 4th. July 4th. <laughs> you can pick morning or evening, but set a time on your phone and take five minutes a day to just pray for our nation for lots of reasons, not just the COVID virus, but all of the things that we are wrestling with these days. And I would like for us to do that now, if you don't mind, online as well. Let's just pause right now and pray for our nation, if you will. Jesus, thank you for this nation. We are blessed. We've been given this privilege of living in this amazing place. But with freedom comes responsibility. And, and we have to own that. So I pray for our nation that not only would we enjoy the freedom you've given us, but be responsible in the way we manage it and the way we use it. Bless this nation with wisdom, especially right now. Give us wisdom with our leaders to know what's the right thing to do and how to do it, and for all of us to figure out what you're telling us to do. And we pray for your hand on this nation, not just for healing of the health issue, but healing of our land from the sin and destruction that we have caused, and healing of our hearts from the things that we've done to violate your will. We pray for a revival in this place across this world. And let it start with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Great to worship with you today. Hey, I was supposed to get up at the beginning of the worship and address the uh, statement made by the governor and the, and, the, and the whole thing about not singing in worship. And so I missed that opportunity this morning before we worship. Apparently it didn't really matter because you were going to worship anyways. But here, I want to say this. We are not here to violate any of the commands or the things that our state asks us to do. We're not here to violate that, and we are certainly not here to make a statement with this. I just refuse to tell you not to praise the Lord. And that's what we decided to do this week, and we'll see about each week. And I only share that with you because we are wrestling, elders are wrestling with this just like all of us are, and we chose for this week. We, I just could not get up here and say, don't sing, because I know that's how we praise the Lord and we need to be able to do that. So we'll keep addressing that each week, and I'll keep you updated as we try to figure out what's the wise thing to do and what's the right thing to do, which isn't always look the same. So we will keep that updated with you. Today we're in, uh, where are we at? We're in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and 20. You can turn there in your Bible, pull it up on your phone. If you're watching online, pull it up on your Bible or your phone because I want you to walk through this scripture with me. I'm just going to look at one verse of chapter 19 and then most of chapter 20 today with you. And we're going to talk again about another giant that David faced. We started this series last week talking about the giants we face and how to defeat them. And last week we talked about 
Goliath, that giant that you face that has to be defeated. And we talked about ways uh, to defeat a Goliath in your life. Well, this week, we look at another giant. And the thing with giants is not all of them can be defeated immediately. Some giants you face in life, you will face the rest of your life. They're called threats. I was reading the story out of Pakistan by of a reverend by the name of Munawar Ramalsha. I don't know if I said that right, but Munawar Ramalsha. He says that in the nation of Pakistan, 97% of the people in Pakistan are Muslim, 2.5% are Christian. And so the Christians are always under persecution every day of their lives. They're constantly under this threat. And you would think if you were one of them, if I were one of them, that we would probably run from the threat. We just escape. But he says, despite the hatred shown towards Christians, he isn't bitter. In fact, he says he works for better relationships with his Muslim neighbors. He views the persecution as an opportunity to display Christ's love to the people around him. And he said this in one news report, we clean the wounds of those who hate us and are willing to kill us. We clean the wounds of those who hate us and are willing to kill us. See, he would not run from a threat. And we're going to see out of the life of David today how to tame a threat, how we tame the threats we face in life. And I'm guessing all of you have threats. Certainly, COVID is a threat. It's a threat to your health. We need to understand that. But you have other threats as well. Any of you ever been bullied at school in your past, in your history? Ever any, of you, any of you online? <laughs> any of you uh, ever dealing with the threat of of things at work where people are after you or treating you poorly or mistreating you in some way. Certainly we've dealt with the threat of terrorism. We're still dealing with that. Anybody ever traveled on an airplane recently? Security lines are still long, even in COVID. Today we're gonna see how David dealt with his threat and he didn't respond right the first time. Here's how it starts. Here's David. Remember, he's just defeated Goliath. He's now one of the champions of the war machine that's in Israel. He's killing off Philistines. In fact, there's this song about him that happens in chapter 18. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Do you ever hear that song? It's in the scripture there. You ought to read it sometime. It's really pretty cool. And that really upsets King Saul. Before David was one of his champions, one of his fighters. Now David is a threat. In chapter 19, verse 1, the whole table turned. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants, all the guards, to kill David. I want you to see that threats happen around us all the time, and it's how you respond to a threat that matters. In this case, the first thing we need to learn about facing a threat is you got to tame your feet, your feet. You got to tame what they do. Because if you don't tame your feet, you may respond incorrectly. Sandra reminded me there's three ways that we respond to threats. I always thought of two. We either, we either fight a threat or we flee it. But she reminded me that there's a third way we respond to threats. We freeze. When I was a kid, my mom and... Uh, 
her dad would bring firewood to our house and we'd, we'd st- he'd get a truckload of firewood, we'd stack it up outside and then he'd bring these burlap bags full of twigs so that we could use that to start fires in the fireplace. So every winter, that's how we saved the heating bill, is just started fires in the fireplace. Well, it was getting late in November, early December and my mom decided it was time to start a fire. So we bring in wood from the outside and stack it by the fireplace and she brings in one of these burlap bags with the twigs and she reaches in and pulls out twigs and puts it in the fireplace and reaches in again and pulls out twigs and in her hand is a garter snake. She froze holding the snake in her hand. Now there's four of us kids. I'm the oldest of four. The two youngest immediately ran upstairs into the bedroom to hide. Didn't see him for hours. If I knew that's how I could get rid of my two youngest I would have held snakes up in front of them all the time. My other brother, the year younger than me, he's all excited about a snake. So he's going up, hey, let me play with the snake. And my mom's still frozen with the snake. She can't physically move. And I finally, I think I froze too. And then I finally went out to the garage and grabbed the shovel. And we immediately got rid of the snake. I bring that up to you because many of us face threats the same way my family did. Some of us freeze. We don't know what to do, so we don't do anything. And the threat gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of us want to fight the threat. Like we're better than the threat. We're going to beat that threat up. That little bully, I'm going to show him next week. Or I, I'm going to show those people at work what, they're all, what I'm all about. And we think we can defeat a threat by fighting it, just like Saul. And it only makes the problem worse. And then some of us run. And that's what David did. I want you to read the rest of this chapter later today. What David did next was not what kings do. Remember, he's already anointed to be the next king. But he runs. He runs to his wife. That doesn't work because here comes Saul and his men to capture him. And so she hides this idol in his bed to make it look like he's still there. And he takes off out the back door. So long, wife. Then he runs to Samuel to see if Samuel could say, I mean, surely the prophet, the one who anointed him, this guy, he can keep him protected. But all along comes Saul and all his men, they're going to take David even from Samuel. Now there's a great story at the end of chapter 19 about that. You ought to read it later today. Pretty fun about how God interrupts Saul's plans. But David gets to the end of this chapter and he realizes that you can't run from a threat. You can't flee a threat if you want it to be solved. Can't fight it, can't freeze, and you can't flee. Especially when it comes to the things of God. Because God says there's only one or two reasons why you should ever flee. In fact, he tells you to flee from immorality, flee from sin and temptation, and flee from the coming wrath. That's the only time you run. If you face a threat, you should stand in the face of it, he says. Resist the devil, stand against it, and he will flee from you. So when you face a threat, don't run. Face it. And David almost messed up his kingship because of the way he responded. God reroutes him back. Look at verse chapter 20. This is where I want to land today. Chapter 20 starts verse 1. David finally figures it out. He flees from Naoth and from Ramah, that's where Samuel was, and went back to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? 
How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? And Jonathan replies, never, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, notice verse 4, Whatever you want to do, I'll do for you. Then move over to verse 12. Jonathan again says to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I, am sh- that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed with an oath had David affirm his loath out of his love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, I want you to see, not only do we have to tame our feet, but we've got to tame our brain. When you face a threat, you tend to think the threat is more powerful than you. And in fact, what's happening with David is he feels all alone. Have you ever felt all alone? Like completely by yourself? Like no one else can help you? You're on your own? There's no way to fix this threat? I can't defeat it myself, and I'm by myself. That's exactly where David is. Look at verse chapter 20. He says, what are you doing, Jonathan? I have nowhere to turn, no place to go. And now your dad is after me. What am I supposed to do? See, David is feeling forsaken. But Jonathan reminds him to tame his brain because when you feel forsaken, you're mistaken. You are not alone. In fact, Jonathan says to him, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. You are not alone. There's a native Indian tribe that has this rite of passage for boys when they turn 13. At the age of 13, they take the boy out of the home. He's been with the home the whole time. They take the boy, they blindfold him. They walk him out deep into the woods into an area that's far from the camp And then they leave him there that night to stay the night in the woods. First time, first experience. He's never done this before. He's blindfolded. They leave him back there and they race away and he has to stay in the woods all night long. Takes the blindfold off. He can't see or hear or see anything. Totally dark, pitch black. So if you were there with him, can you imagine what you would feel the first time you hear a twig snap? What animal's going to get me? Or the wind blowing through the trees, what's coming after me? All the fear and the terrifying moments that that boy would go through, all until the sun comes up. When the sun comes up, the boy starts seeing flowers and trees and the green grass around him. And maybe in a distance, he sees a pathway that they had taken him to get him there. And then when the light is fully there, that 13-year-old boy will see in not too far distance A man, his father, bow and arrow ready, there to protect his son. 
It's a reminder that is, even though you need to be brave to face the threats around you, you also need to be dependent because you cannot face a threat alone. I want you to hear today, everybody online, everybody here in this room, I want you to hear me clearly today. You are not alone. Do you hear that? You may feel alone, you may think you're alone, you may feel like you're fighting this thing all on your own, but you are not alone. And neither was David. He had God on his side. And he had his best friend, Jonathan, as well. And when your brain is telling you that you're alone and you're forsaken, you remind your brain you're mistaken because God is with you. And friends, I'm telling you right now, we need that more than anything else. We need to remember that we are not in this fight alone. God is bigger than a virus. He is stronger than anything else. That doesn't mean we don't respect the virus. It just means we need to realize we're not the one that's going to defeat this thing. God is the one that defeats our enemies, and we will fight it with faith. So when you're feeling alone, remind your brain that you are not alone. And then the last thing he needed to do was tame his heart, tame his feet, tame his brain, but look at what happens next. They, they work out this plan. It's kind of an interesting text message, if you will. Jonathan's going to go to a party that David is supposed to go to the next day, and he's going to give an excuse to, to Saul about why David is not there. He's going to say, hey, my, David asked for permission to go hang out with his family on July 4th. You know, they're going to have a party. And Saul is going to get upset. And the whole idea was when, when Jonathan figured out where Saul stood on this, he was going to come back with his bow and arrow, and he's going to shoot an arrow and send his archer boy to go fetch the arrow. And when the boy goes to the arrow, he's either going to say, come back because I think you've gone too far, which indicates to David that everything's safe. Or he's going to tell the boy, go further, because I think it's further away. And that's going to indicate to David that he's in danger and he needs to run. Now, you're thinking, why, why all this strange message? Why didn't he just go tell David when he finds out? Well, here's why. There's a good chance that Saul is following Jonathan and so to protect David and protect Jonathan, they work out this strange text message. We've done that before in our history too, by the way. One if by land, two if by sea. A way to communicate something in a hidden way to protect the people that receive it. And how crazy is this? David, Jonathan figures out this ingenious plan not only to protect David, not only to protect himself, but if, if Saul brings somebody along or wants to follow Jonathan, he can just take off and leave and not risk David's life. But if Saul doesn't, he can send the boy home and nobody will suspect any different that he got a chance to hang out with his best friend. So they do it. You read further in the chapter, Jonathan confronts his dad. Dad gets really upset. And I don't know if you can imagine this, but dad, is, it's not about saving the kingdom for Jonathan. This is all about Saul's ego. He shoots, throws his spear at his own son. He doesn't care really about Jonathan or David. I don't know about you parents, can you kill your own kid? There have been moments. <laughs> but throwing a spear? No. 
So Jonathan goes back, shoots his arrow, sends the boy after it, tells the boy, go further, I think the arrow's further. End of chapter 20. Verse 35, in the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? And then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. So the boy picked up the arrow, returned it to his master, because he didn't know what was going on. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to the town. And verse 41, after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and mine. And then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Friends, this is so big. I want you to see what just happened. David had a set of responsibilities. And even though Saul was threatening his life, he was still responsible for the, for the war machine that he was supposed to lead. He was still responsible for being the guitar player, if you will, in the court to satisfy Saul. He was still under obligation to serve. And if he just chose to run or fight, he would have broken his own character. But then this encounter with Jonathan, and Jonathan releases him from all of that. He frees him from his military responsibilities. He says, go in peace. You don't have to serve in, my, in the kingdom anymore. You are free now to follow what God has called you to do. Didn't eliminate the threat but now he's got strength and righteousness over it. The last thing David had to do was tame his heart. Instead of getting defensive, stay faithful. And that's what he did. In this covenant that Jonathan and David made, <laughs> David committed to protect Jonathan's family. That included Saul. And you read through the rest of 1 Samuel, and you'll see time after time, David is favorable and compassionate with Saul. Why? Because he didn't want to kill his best friend's dad. He was faithful to his obligation. He was faithful to his work. And what he was supposed to do for the king, he's been released from it. And he was faithful to Jonathan, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks that he even blesses the family of Jonathan after Jonathan dies. And friends, when we stop being defensive and start being faithful, God takes up our fight as well. You got to tame your feet, and tame your brain, and tame your heart. And trust the Lord. Jonathan found a friend in David. And David saw a friend in him. Their faithfulness overcame the threat. And our strategies change when we stop being defensive and team up with those that help us remain faithful. I read the story of 
Mohammed El Arain. He was the CEO in New York City. He was the CEO of a $2 trillion fund. He was in charge of this investment fund that kept growing by billions of dollars. And he served there a lot of, for a long period of time until he received a letter from his 10-year-old daughter. After receiving this letter, a few weeks later, he chose to resign his job as that CEO. And here's why. Because in the letter, she had listed out 22 different things that he had missed in her life. Her first day of school, her first soccer game, her Halloween parade with her friends, and all of this list of things that he had missed out on in his life. And he started getting very defensive. Oh, that, I know, I had to miss it. I had to work. I had to do this. I had to do that. I have to take care of the family. I have to make enough money. And he gave all his excuses and realized that in his defensiveness, he was missing the point. So he resigned his job and chose to team up with his daughter and be faithful to his role as a parent. You know, that's what David did. He chose to be faithful, and God protected him from Saul. Friends, you cannot outrun a threat. It will find you. You can't defeat it by fighting it. And it won't go away if you freeze. You got to tame your feet and tame your brain and tame your heart so you can resist it. And then it will run from you. So when you face a threat, don't run. Remember, you are not alone. God is with you. And you stay faithful to him and he will lead you on. And that's what I'm praying for right now for all of us that we have the courage to face the threat and do what's right and help and support people. And yes, wear masks when we need to. And yes, stand and praise the Lord when we're called to and do the things that God has called you to do. Remember, he is Lord, not COVID. And we will give him praise. Our greatest threat is not a health crisis or a financial loss or relational breakups. Our greatest threat is unfaithfulness to the God who called us. So we will be faithful because he paid the price for us on a cross. Amen? God, thank you for today, for this reminder. It's a lot more to this story and there's many more chapters to talk about this, but David was so faithful to you, even facing the threat of Saul for most of his young adult life. We don't face a threat nearly as dangerous as Saul. And yet, we struggle to be faithful to you. Help us to stay faithful, to not run, to remember, and to stay faithful to wherever you lead us. And as we do, may your son get the glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Each week, in our church's history, we, we continue to practice communion every week. I know that's been difficult during this whole pandemic. And today we actually have communion for people here. And if you're watching from home, I want to give you a short devotion about communion, what it's about, and then give you a chance to share in communion together with me. Once you take them, you can take the first layer off and take the bread out and then drink the cup 
as, after the second layer, and I'll ask you to deposit that in the trash can after you leave, as you leave. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is speaking about communion, the Lord's Supper, to the church in Corinth, and he tells them three important elements about taking communion. He says, he reminds them that Jesus broke the bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. Again, he takes the cup after after the supper, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. We need to remember him. In fact, that's why we do this. This isn't about bread and juice. The most important thing we do in a worship service is remember the Lord who died for us. And that's why we do this. But then he also says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming to the world that he died for you. This body and blood you take as a reminder that he has paid your price. And you're telling the whole world that he is your Lord when you take it. That's one of the reasons taking it together is so powerful because we're telling not only the people in the room, but everybody else around the world that we follow Jesus. It calls them to do the same. But then in verse 27, he adds one more element to communion. He says... Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is drinking judgment on themselves. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Examine, remember, proclaim. That sounds like worship to me. So today, we take the body of Christ given for you. Do this in remembrance of him. We take the cup of Christ, the blood shed for you, to pay for your sins, to wash you clean, to guarantee you eternity. The new covenant given for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And every time you take it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to dismiss those of you online to your reflection time. Enjoy that time, and thank you. We'll see you again next week. And for those of you that are here, I shared that I would do this. And I. Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider giving a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net backslash giving.